like to introduce on stage Kirsty Swain, the writer. <laughs> Rose Cartwright, whose memoir inspired the drama. Anil Karia, the director. Charlie Clive, who plays Marnie. And finally, Joe Cole, who plays Charlie. Um, Kirsty, I'd like to start with you, if that's all right. Mm -hmm. Mental health hasn't always been portrayed in the most helpful way by the mainstream media. Why do you think that is? And what do you hope to achieve with Pure? Um, I think sometimes in the media in the past it's been um, kind of a shortcut to having an interesting character. Um, it's been more of a character quirk than something personally devastating. Um, so what we really wanted to do with Pure was show what it was really like to have a mental illness and how it doesn't just affect your relationship with yourself, it affects the relationships you have with everyone around you, like friends, colleagues, everyone. Um, so yeah, that's what we wanted to do with that. And Rose, um, Pure O um, is a very different experience to the more kind of common assumptions about OCD. Mm. How much of a responsibility did you feel in raising awareness and also tackling the taboo of it? Uh, yeah, I feel a huge responsibility. Um, I think there's a lot of people that are going to be watching that and uh, they've never seen themselves on screen before. They've never seen what they've been experiencing represented. This is something that people live with in secret, that they're deeply ashamed of, that they feel they can't talk about. Um, and uh, it's, it's a real challenge to portray that on screen, but I think the team has done beautifully. And I'm, I'm so proud about this kind of sea change in, in the portrayal of OCD. Because like, you know, when I was 15 and I first started experiencing this, this definition didn't exist in the public eye, and now it does. And that's very exciting. Yeah, it's been quite a journey. It has. It's been yeah. a journey. Um, Anil, mm. um, who do you hope will watch the show? Um, literally everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, that probably won't happen statistically. But um, <laughs> who should be watching? Uh, well, I think as Rose touched upon, it's going to be like it's going to be hugely important to a lot of people who've been suffering this and. And had people kind of not understand it, it's going to be really uh, huge for them, I guess. And probably a broader, broader spectrum of OCD sufferers as well. Um, I think it's probably, be, hopefully, going to be quite popular with young people. But I think it has a really broad appeal in other senses because, of course, it's not a documentary about this. You know, it's very uh, well researched, and of course, having Rosenbord meant that we knew as much as we needed to about it. But it's also a drama about life and, uh, and living and uh, awkwardness and relationships and all that. So I think, I think it actually has, hopefully, quite broad appeal through the demographics, yeah. 
Why do you think that um, comedy drama is the most effective way to tell this story? That's me. Yeah. Um, All of you as well. I'd like right, yeah. Be great. Well, I guess um, it's probably the naffest thing I've ever said, but <laughs> life <laughs> itself is a bit of a comedy drama. Rehearsed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, no, but I mean, life every single day is full of like, the mundane and the, and the sad, and, and, but, you know, hopefully uh, the comic as well. And um, I think comedy drama is like a really interesting new, it's not a new genre, but it's like a new, it's got a name now and uh, stuff like that. And, um, and I think it's so popular because I think a lot of people are looking for that, that authentic blend of feeling in a show which reflects um, living and uh, life isn't really... Um, Mrs. Brown's Boys or, or um, uh, Casualty. Yeah. Comedy can be, You'd hope, yeah. Yeah, comedy can be like a release as well when it's used in the right place. Like, you couldn't tell like a knock-knock joke, joke at a funeral and then it would be the wrong place. But with comedy, in this sense, it's, it's great because it's, it's this release and I think it's been good because we can talk about a really heavy subject like mental illness, but then laugh at it in places because the nature of some of the intrusive thoughts, like fingering a horse is quite funny until it <laughs> becomes pathological and you think about it all the time and it ruins your life. Yes. Um, so it's a good way to kind of move between the two um, tones, like comedy and drama. Um, Charlie, this is your first TV role. Um, you were discovered on Vimeo. Um, and you didn't even have an agent when you were cast for this. And you're not Scottish, I should oh, no. I'm and not. you live in New York. Um, yes. How did you come to be involved with this? Um, I did a... I, I have a background in comedy and I'm a part of a comedy duo called Britney. Um, and we'd done a couple of shows at Edinburgh and I had a crowdfunding video um, online to try and fleece people for money for the show. And um, somebody saw it. And uh, I think Jen, the, one of the producers, saw it. And, uh, and she thought, ah, that girl seems charming and fun, maybe. <laughs> and, then, um, and then I got an email to audition. Um, and I didn't have representation at the time. So it, I, I didn't think it was a scam, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> But I was, I was pretty cautious, and so I was, I was just really excited for the opportunity to audition for something legit on television, paid. Um, <laughs> so that, so, and then, yeah, cut to now, kind of a, kind of a crazy journey. And, and what about the character? What, what kind of appealed to you about Marnie? Um, the gift of a character. Yeah. The, well, when I first read the scripts, I was quite daunted, just because... There's, there's like, if I suppose, if there's like an actor bucket list, you tick it all off quite quickly with Marnie in terms of like the comedy and the tragedy and the um, really naturalistic situations as well as the kind of crazy, um, uh, like the big group intrusive thought scenes, for example, isn't something that you expect to do necessarily on your first job. And, uh, <laughs> and so that, I suppose, the, quite broadly, it all appealed to me. But as um, just reading a, a female character who's really funny and holds her own and there's a lot of room to play around, but is also, you know, comes from a really grounded place of, of Rose's book and, and Kirsty's writing was really exciting to me to feel like 
it was properly, I felt very taken care of by the script and its basis. And it was, yeah, it was like pretty much the dream role, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and Joe, how did you get involved? Um, I think the guys, the producers and Neil saw an episode of Black Mirror I was in and thought I looked like a bit of a pudding and could do this one. So <laughs> they gave me a shot at it. <laughs> yeah, what, what appealed to you about Charlie? I thought it was uh, such a beautifully written um, character. Sort of, it, I, I respond to roles that kind of jump off the page. Like when I read something, I, I always sort of read it out loud. And, um, this just jumped off the page to me. It was kind of fun, charismatic, but also he's got this kind of these underlying issues, and it was kind of fun for me to to toe that line and and and, and play that, try and play that truthfully. Yeah, you do have some really good lines, um, but I wonder how did you feel about playing a porn addict, and, and did you sort of, you know, worry about that, about how you were going to approach it? Uh, yeah, I mean, for sure, you know, I, I played sort of other. You know, addicts before I've got whole uh, roster. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like you know, if if you sort of forget the prefix for a moment, it's kind of um, it's understanding addiction um, and 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 finding kind of the the sort of the truth behind that and the nuances behind that. Um, and then porn porn addiction, I guess, is is, is still it's quite a taboo subject in our culture. Mm. If somebody says they're a, an alcoholic or you know a, you know a drug addict, it's kind of uh, people kind of understand it more, I guess. And and porn addiction possibly uh, not not taken as, as as seriously at the moment. So um, it was it was interesting to to kind of um, to to put that on the screen for sure. Um, Rose, what's it been like having your seeing your memoir sort of being adapted for, for a TV show? Yeah, it's been, um, it's just been a really wild journey. <laughs> um, I, especially like watching that, like sitting on the back row with these guys and watching it and, you know. How did you feel? Uh, just everything, Nervous. like every emotion. <laughs> sick, we all felt sick. quite sick. Yeah, sick. <laughs> really feeling really sick all day. Yeah. But like, you know, I moved to London when I was 23 um, with this head full of intrusive thoughts, tried to get an internship at a sort of trendy East London media company. And uh, it's like seeing some of those scenes and it's just, it's so real. And Kirsty's done such a beautiful job of adapting it and bringing in this new, all these new characters and creating this new world. But there's some nuggets in there that are like so astoundingly real to me that it's like watching it is really surreal and strange, but really beautiful. Yeah, and how long's the process been then? So from when you... Well, I first met Drama Republic like uh, end of 2015, I think. Uh, oh, wow, so yeah. a long time. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's been long. <laughs> Kirsty, how um, true is the series to the book? Um, well, the tricky thing about taking a, a memoir about mental health is that it doesn't really lend itself to, to television because we want it to be really true to the condition and obviously make a really entertaining bit of, of television as well. And, and OCD in particular is, is quite a repetitive disease, so it doesn't like fold itself into neat little episodes. It's kind of repetitive and like a series of um, like obsessions and compulsions. So we're, we hope we're like really true to the condition. Um, but we, we kind of use it as a jumping off point to kind of tell, uh, like to make a relationship drama about 
someone who ultimately struggles with having relationships because of this chronic anxiety disorder. But I think we both shared like quite a similar upbringing in terms of like rural upbringing and and like a love it's English. Water in London yeah, well, turning up and wanting to do it right but not knowing how. And wanting to woman. find somewhere to fit and wanting to find your people. And if you don't know who you are, how do you have a hope in hell of finding the people you should be around? And <laughs> and then that becomes a, an obsession itself and, and an anxiety. Finding finding that like that group that you belong to, and I think a lot of people can relate to that because mm -hmm. we've all been in that situation. I think. Mm -hmm. And what what drew you to the to the project? How did that come about from your side? I think that same kind of when I read your book, I just said fuck. I'm allowed to say that in BAFTA. Um, <laughs> I lied. Sorry, I just did um, loads of times, and then I just. I, I, it resonated so much with me because I grew up as quite an anxious child, which I think is because we, I lived in a place where military jets used to train in the sky above us, and I spent a lot of my childhood ducking. And um, <laughs> I think that's why I was an anxious person. But then, yeah, I read your book, and it just made me feel like, I was like, oh, that's okay. Someone else feels that anxious, more anxious. And, um, and I think that hopefully people will watch it, and, and if they feel less alone watching this show, then I think, we've, yeah, I'll be happy. Done a good job, yeah. Um, what was your what was your kind of most challenging or memorable scene to kind of watch, or or just then, or or, or when you're down on set? Um, me, it's uh, yeah. The uh, I think the one that stands out mostly is the uh, parents' anniversary one because I wrote it having just been at my mum and dad's anniversary. Happy anniversary, <laughs> mum and dad! <laughs> oh, um, no. And I didn't have to. I didn't have to do a speech like that. And obviously, if I had, um, I wouldn't have felt that anxious about it. But um, yeah, that was pr that was quite uh, an ordeal to write because you've got to like imagine all those things and. Um, and sort of orchestrate it all together. So I don't know how you pulled it off actually in the room on set. Um, I wasn't actually there because I was locked in a writer's prison at Drama Republic writing episode two or three or four or five. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know how you guys did it. <laughs> you know more than me. Charlie, what was your most memorable scene to film? Um, that one definitely left a mark. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I won't forget that in a hurry. Um, Christ, but uh, loads. I mean, because I've never done it, but I hadn't done it before, so all of them felt like massive milestones in a way. And um, I think that there are some there are some therapy scenes later on in the series that were that felt particularly. That there were a few moments when we were filming. The library scene with Joe is one of them, um, and Rose was on set that day, which was particularly special. Um, there were a, a few moments where um, there's, there's you. I had to sort of lose that like kind of goofy, like make a joke facade for a minute and do the and and sort of sit down with the OCD mm. as the character. And I think those probably were the most memorable because that was really, um, I was very anxious that it should be as authentic as possible and should do Rose the service she's owed and, and Kirsty's writing. And uh, so those were probably the most memorable because of the, I think the anticipation of doing them and then how, and then the relief of doing them and knowing that I'd done right by Rose and Kirsty. Those, that was probably it. it was, Cool. Did you Thanks. enjoy being on set, Rose? Was that was that uh, a bit surreal? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, 
my most memorable moment was the first time I was on set. Um, you, you, you saw in the first two episodes there that there's a lot of stuff that's shot in Shoreditch. Um, and uh, when I first moved to London, when I was in the state that you see Marnie in, uh, in, in those episodes, I actually lived in Shoreditch, so it, that was very close to home to me. And uh, I'd just finished work, and I was coming in. You guys were still shooting. It was the week of the Beast of the East, so it was, like, snowing, which is, like, <laughs> terrible for, like, naked extras. Um, and I was, like, super nervous. Sorry. I was like, what, what have I done? And, like, I turned the top of the... I turned, like, the corner at Shoreditch Cross, and I looked down the street, and uh, it was just, like, floodlights, like, <laughs> 60 guys in high-vis jackets. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And then, like, I got closer, and they were, you guys were actually shooting an intrusive thought um, down the alleyway, do you remember? Yeah. And um, I heard someone shout, okay, we're going to do the intrusive thought now. And they pull up these big privacy screens, and, like, <laughs> the guys in the salon down the alley had to be, uh, like, briefed that there might be some nudity happening outside just in case their clients get offended. And I was like, what is my life? Like, <laughs> what is my life? But it's like, it's, it, it, it was such a privilege because, um, you know, People pay hundreds of pounds for that kind of exposure therapy <laughs> and for narrative therapy. And here I am, like, having experienced this thing that I kept secret and I was so ashamed of and going down to set and seeing it just being discussed so openly and, yeah. like, to, to, for storytelling to be such a healing tool. Like, I was just like, this is all right. <laughs> I don't regret this. That's great. And I like that you're calling them the, the intrusive thought scenes. I was just going to say naked sequence. Um, <laughs> Neil, I wanted to ask you, what was it like to film the naked, well, the intrusive thought on the tube? Quite uh, It's distressing. Harrowing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no, it was, it, was, uh, it was really, it was kind of interesting. Uh, it, it, was, um, it was logistically very difficult, obviously. You know, you've got like, lot of naked people in a small space <laughs> and um it's, I mean, can you it's remember how many extras you had that's yeah, about 50 or something wow. like that. yeah and there's a you know that's a lot of people just to kind of wrangle when you haven't got a lot of um wrangling wrangle in a short space of time and you know you're always kind of fighting the clock so that was you know just that was quite hard to learn and then they're naked and um and they're hot and naked and they, that's they sometimes <laughs> smell um, oh, God. And uh, <laughs> no, it was just in a contained space, a lot of hot, naked people. Smelling it. And, and, um, and, of, and they're not, you know, actors, of course. They're, they're essays or extras, and, you know, they're, they're nice, but, they're so, but they don't necessarily know what they're doing. And uh, so you have to kind of. Um, have to work with that, and then so there's all that logistical stuff, but then yeah. there's the there's the kind of challenge of of reflecting what you know there's the, what you're filming is actually uh, 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 mental illness, and you're having to kind of reflect that and and get the right stuff and uh, and and make it kind of mean something. You know, yes. it can't just be like let's film a load of naked people and that will be you know yeah. mad, won't yeah. it? It's like yeah. it's got to be you know it's got to mean something. You've got to come away with what you need, and then. There are other ch there are challenges like compliance, you know, like um, turns out you can't show porn on Channel Four at uh, prime time. <laughs> but but uh, so you have to kind of work around those limits, but still make it, you know, uh, shock and kind of uh, you know give have a, have a kind of extreme sense to it, even though it isn't, you know, uh, yeah. right over there on the spectrum. So yeah, 
think we were the, the naked scenes were, sorry, yeah, I'm going to wrap up. The naked scenes, <laughs> <laughs> those big naked scenes were a real challenge just logistically, but of course there was the pressure of like being true to them, you know, and not just making them and crazy. Making them, like, so they weren't gratuitous, they, they're just stressing for Marnie mm. and the audience should be distressed by them as well. So I'm pretty sure you were probably disturbed by some of those things that you saw. Um, and also we were very aware of the whole discussion about the representation of women on screen as well. So we didn't want to just be gratuitous and just show a tit <laughs> when there was no need to see a tit. The tit had to be earned. <laughs> Which is a rule for life. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and on that note, um, <laughs> questions from the audience. Um, if you could raise your hand, there's a couple of mics. Um, and if you're a journalist, if you could say where you're from and your name, that would be great. So. Hello. Um, I'm just wondering, uh, from a structural point of view uh, across the series, um, obviously Marnie finds out actually what is wrong uh, in, in the second episode. And obviously people struggle with mental health for a really extensive long time um, without realising what is actually wrong with them. In terms of the series, I assume it's six episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, you chose, obviously, quite consciously to, to sort of not solve it, but to understand it sort of it within the second episode. Is that for the audience to sort of relate or, you know, what, what, what was your decision to sort of challenge that straight away? Um, I think because, well, it's hard to sort of, you have to kind of announce it up, up front. Um, and also we wanted to explore the fact that even if you get the label you're looking for, which is what Marnie's looking for, that doesn't solve your problem. You've still got to deal with the fact, do you have this mental illness? And, and Marnie's so sure that finding a label for herself is going to solve her problem, but actually for a while it makes things worse a bit. And, and we just wanted to explore the fully rounded experience of what it's like to have a mental illness. And, and part of that is wondering what it is. And, and because it is such a subjective experience, like Rose says, sometimes you don't know where a mental disorder like ends and you begin and vice versa. So this was a way of, of showing her before, during and, and after. But then the after is not the end because OCD is so repetitive. It doesn't have a beginning, middle and end. It has a, begin, a beginning and a middle and a middle and a middle and it just it goes on without an end in sight. So that's why we did that. Yep. Any more? Yeah, thank you. Hi, I just had a question for Rose actually. Um, how do you manage your recovery now and how are you gonna, I guess, manage it moving forward off the back of this coming out? So I still have uh, OCD, I still have intrusive thoughts uh, that I feel the need to compulsively figure out. Um, I've been through effective therapy, so I kind of, I understand, I kind of like catch myself when I'm going down those compulsive spirals. Um, and I've generally got a handle on it and um, I'm really happy and well. And um, I, as I was saying before about the, the sort of the, the power of storytelling, like just being involved in a project like this and having the freedom to explore something you've been through creatively has actually kind of become part of my healing process. Um, and I don't know, yeah, you couldn't... Uh, I've had a lot of therapy, and this is definitely the best therapy I've had. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I think we've got time for one more question. Um, yeah. Hello there. Um, my name is Catherine Benfield. I'm a OCD blogger, and I'm also a volunteer for the charity Maternal OCD. 
Um, I just wanted to say a, a huge well done and thank you. Um, I had maternal OCD. It was in the perinatal period. It was awful. 24 hours a day, I had images of harming my son. Uh, they weren't sexual-based intrusive thoughts, but they were harm. Everything I looked at turned into a way that I could kill him. And for two years now, almost daily, the charity have heard from women, men, parents, everybody. You don't have to be a parent either. Just anyone having these thoughts about children or inappropriate thoughts. I've never seen this represented in this way. And like, you're going to set people free. It's incredible. I could cry. You are going to save many, many lives. Thank you everyone for coming and could I just ask um, members of the press to check in with the Channel 4 press office to confirm the TX date. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks guys. Thank